a young couple was walking down the street. And in the distance, the young lady saw a beautiful yard ahead of them. And the yard was perfectly manicured with lots of bushes and flowers and just all the stuff you would think of from a perfectly manicured lawn. But what caught her attention the most were the peonies. So the yard had dozens of peonies, bushes, and all of them were in full bloom. Pinks and purples and reds and whites. And as she saw it, she gasped. Look at all these beautiful bushes! Peonies are my favorite flower! The young man sort of looked in bewilderment at the yard and not really knowing what a peonies was, he sheepishly says, uh, which one are those? Knowing that he should probably know what his girlfriend's favorite flowers are. So she says, I- I'll point them out when we get to the yard. Don't worry, I- I'll point them out to you. But right as they got to the yard, before she could point out which ones were the peonies, the man shouted, Oh, I hope you aren't referring to those nasty flowers with the ants all over them. Those are disgusting. The young woman fell silent, and they finished their walk in quiet. It's really easy to just walk through life and see the insects. We can go through our whole life, and we can see the flowers, whatever flowers they may be, or we can focus on the ants and the insects. And truly, the choice is ours. Sometimes, the more beautiful the flowers are, the more attractive they are to insects of all sorts. So how would you categorize yourself? Really what we're talking about here is being a pessimist or an optimist, right? Do you see, always see the good in a situation? You always just seem to be bubbly and joyful and pointing to the good in life? Or do you usually tend to find the negative in different situations? Full disclosure, I tend to be more of a pessimist. Or as I like to refer to it as a realist. Like, it's, it's not pessimistic. I'm a realist. Right? I feel that I always can see different situations. And I always start to see the potential negative outcomes in all the situations. And sometimes that can be good. Sometimes for my family, we can look at a situation or a topic. And I can start to hedge our family against negative things that may be coming. But other times, it it cannot be so good as well. It can have hurtful consequences for our family, for myself. It's really easy to be a pessimist and to get stuck. And I will be honest, borderline confessional today, and say that I feel like I've been stuck, personally. Past few sermons I've preached, if you've been here, you may have caught a little bit of that feeling I've been preaching about lamenting and imprecatory psalms and and sin. And those are all needed topics. And I'll be very honest, I picked all of these topics before the summer even started. But as I'm preaching through this, again this week, I was going to stand up and preach another lamenting psalm. And last week, as I was trying to write my sermon outline, and I'm just banging my head against the wall trying to figure out where to go with this, And just feeling like I'm in this rut. I finally said, I I just can't do it. I can't preach another lament. I just, I've got to get myself out of this rut. 
So I switched it last minute, and here we are. So today we will find ourselves in Psalm 111. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Joey Weber. I'm the associate pastor here, and, and I just want to thank you for joining us. Again, like Josh said, if this is your first time here, if you're just visiting, make sure to introduce yourself to somebody, and we'd just love to connect with you. We will see in this psalm that if, if we find ourselves in that rut, always struggling, we, tend to, we need to shift our focus, shift our perception. And this psalm will show us three ways that we can shift our perception and focus more on the blessings and the privileges that God has given us. So follow along as I read Psalm 111. It says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So right away, the first thing that we can see, the psalmist knows that in order to shift his perception, he must begin with praising God. Right away in verse 1, the very first words, praise the Lord. Other translations will say hallelujah. That's what hallelujah means. Praise the Lord. This is where he starts, and it's also going to be where he ends. But it's important for us to start there. But I also, like, as I read through this, I instantly gravitated to the next line. And it talks about the whole heart. And so I instantly started thinking, okay, what does he mean? What is the psalmist trying to say by the whole heart? Is he talking about emotions and feelings? What, what is he saying? What does he want us to understand? So I, I dug in and I did a little bit of a word study. And the original word that's used for heart here had many meanings. It means just the inner parts. It can mean heart. It can mean soul. It can mean mind. It can mean knowledge. It can mean conscience. It can mean our will. The reality is that the psalmist is trying to point out that we need to be praising God with our whole being. Every aspect of us, every part of our thoughts, our actions, our emotions need to be praising God. And the passage here points us to the needs to praise God individually and in our worship services. And so, if you've been here long enough, you've heard us talk about our core values here at Stonebridge Church. We have the three C's, and one of them is celebrate. This passage points us to a need to praise God in our worship services. We celebrate who God is and what he has done for us. We do that through songs and through prayers and through interacting and greeting people and drinking coffee and preaching. We celebrate who he is. We also celebrate as a church outside of Sunday morning. 
in connection groups, and, and in fun events like potlucks. We want to celebrate what God is doing in our lives and individually. One thing that I like to do, I instantly also thought about this idea of praising God. Um, it was something I like to do. So whenever I go on mission trips, I have a special way that I like to wake people up. And some people are going to giggle because they've experienced this. Um, I am typically the first awake on most trips. Um, I like to wake up. On mission trips, I like to sleep in. It's like 6 a.m. I'll wake up. Um, most of the time, it's 4 to 4.30. Um, so I'm usually first awake. And I can be quite energetic and loud first thing in the morning. If you can imagine, I know it's shocking to look at me and see somebody who's energetic and loud. Um, but that's just who I am first thing in the morning. Most of the trips I've been on, though, have been with teenagers. Yep, there's the giggles. Yep, because we know what teenagers like. They like to stay up late and they like to sleep in the morning. I've done many different things to wake people up and try and give them joy first thing in the morning. From just loud screaming in the middle of rooms, flipping over mattresses on bunk beds, I'm jumping on beds in hotel rooms, all sorts of just exciting things to just get us up and moving. But my favorite came the first time we went to Puerto Rico, or the second time we went to Puerto Rico. This was a little bit different style of trip for us. It was dorm style. So it was one room of all guys with bunk beds, and then one room of all girls with bunk beds. So I wouldn't disrupt them. And then it was even more different because it was just us on this trip. There was only one other family. So I wake up early, and I go into the kitchen, and I get some supplies. And then I go wake up the dad, the family, the dad, and I said, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do. He had already seen me for the past four days, so he knew he better protect himself. So he rolls over and wraps the ear, uh, the pillow around his head. And I have a pot in one hand and a wooden spoon in the other. And I just start walking through the dorm, just banging on this thing, loud as I can, and just screaming, This is the day! This is the day that the Lord has made! I'm singing just as beautifully as I can. I feel that I'm trying to create a sense of joy around to those around me, trying to start our day on a joyful tone and, and seize the day. I'm praising the Lord to start the day. They didn't feel it that way. I was talking about this with Matt, and he told me, like, he can be a little bit too chipper in the morning sometimes, too. And his wife, Heather, she has this little sign in their house with Proverbs 27, 14 on I'd never heard this verse before. Um, it says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as a cursing. <laughs> I don't like that one. But yeah, when Matt's a little bit too energetic, she'll just point to it and just, he just knows. The reality is, though, is that some days we just don't feel like praising. We don't feel like waking up energetic. Even, even me, I will wake up some days and just feel like the weight of the world has been coming upon me for so long. I just don't even feel like getting out of bed. Those are the times where we must force ourselves to praise God. Almost like this idea, I know you've heard it, like this this uh, slogan, you know, fake it till you make it, right? Like, you just got to fake it till you make it. But, but not really. 
we shouldn't have to fake it. If we read the rest of this psalm and many other passages, we'll see we shouldn't have to fake it. We just have to switch, just change our perception. But Satan doesn't want us to. He wants us to be bitter. He wants us to get in that mode of nonstop lamenting and frustration to the point that we become bitter and we start to pull away. We pull away from God. We pull away from our friends and family. And that's exactly where Satan wants us. He wants us alone and bitter. But we must praise. We must praise all the time. In the good and in the bad. And so in order to do that, we can see in this passage, in verses 2 through 6, that we need to change our perception and we need to remember all that God has done. As we read through these next few verses, we can see the psalmist is pointing to all the incredible things that God has done. It is important for us to be constantly remembering what God has done in our lives and in the world around us and what he is doing, what he has done and what he is doing. We can see in verses 2 and 3 that he says the works of the Lord. And then again, he says his work. So it's this past view and a present view of what's going on. Five times in these four to five verses, it talks about the works or the work of the Lord. He's trying to point us to the past work that God has done through eternity to this point, creating the world, redeeming mankind. But he's also saying God's daily work. Don't forget about that. His sustaining and giving us everything that we need. From God's past grace and mercy through the cross, through his daily grace and mercy, continuing to forgive us for our daily sins. From the past work that God did in calling you and orchestrating the fact that you are even sitting here today to his continued providing of life, food, jobs, family, friends, everything that we have is a gift from God. Being able to look back, look around, and look forward is pivotal for us to be able to shift our perception when we find ourselves stuck in the mode of nonstop lamenting that leads to bitterness. Verse 2 is also very clear. It says the works of the Lord must be studied. The NIV says that it must be pondered. The King James says that it must be sought out. When we find ourselves in that rut, we must seek out the Lord. We must seek him out. We can see over and over again throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel forgetting all the incredible things that God had done for them. We can read these passages and we can, we can read it and just be like, how could you forget? How could you forget all these incredible things? The, the Red Sea and the plagues and the 40 years of wandering, but yet you still had everything you needed. How could you forget all of this, Israelites? The reason is they, they stopped seeking him. They stopped spending time in his word. They stopped talking about all the great things that God had done with each other. And they just started focusing on the negative. And we can be the same. If we're not constantly reminding ourselves of all the great things that God has done, we can become bitter and we can lose focus of what is important. I know the struggle. I've mentioned it before. This world is constantly screaming for our attention. But if we are not taking time to focus on what God has done, 
what he is doing, and what he can do, we will lead to that nonstop lamenting. Now, two major areas that we can refocus. One is personally. Individually in our lives, we can start to refocus. We were recently talking about this in an elder meeting. And we were talking about this topic of those people that we interact with that can just sometimes be always negative. Those people that, you know, for you optimists, it's like you talk to them like, oh, how's your day? And like, oh, let me tell you about my day. And it's like you start to just avoid them after a few times of like, I just, I know just talking to them, it's going to be nonstop negativity. It's like they almost live in negativity. That would never be any of you, of course, but there are those people in this world. And so one of our elders shared this analogy. And he said, you know, it would be possible for me to wake up in the morning and, and probably even wake up, I could wake up before my alarm. I could go to get dressed and my favorite shirt could be sitting on the top of the clean pile. And I could walk out into the living room and my wife could have gotten up early and cooked me breakfast. And then the coffee could be hot and fresh. And I could sit down outside and read about God's word and just have some incredible time reading God's word and in prayer. And then go back inside and my daughters could wake up and they could just be such a blessing. Just reminded how much God has blessed me. And just everything could be going so great. And as I'm walking out the door, I could stub my toe on the coffee table. From that point on, I have two choices. Or one choice, really. How am I going to respond? Because of course, then for the rest of the day, whenever you interact with somebody, how's your day? How's your day? How's your day? You can either look at all of the good, all of the roses, right? All the peonies and the flowers, or you can focus on the negative. How is your day? Oh, man, my wife is so incredible. She made me breakfast this morning. How was your day? Oh, thank God for coffee. It, it was what, it was so good and I love coffee. How was your day? Oh, God has blessed me so much. Have you seen my daughters and how talented they are and how beautiful they are? How was your day? Ugh, my toe. Ugh, I stubbed it today. And just like, and it's hard too because like you start to forget what happened. But that stubbed toe, every time you take the step, you're reminded, depending on how hard you stub it, right? It's like it's still there every single step you take. So it's that reminder of the negative thing that happened, and it's drowning out the all, pos- all the positivity that happened. It's easy to focus on the bad. A friend of mine, uh, Pastor Recap Gray down at Cottage Grove, one of our network churches, he had this great quote. I was listening to him the other day, and he said, We as humans are tempted to make our problems bigger than the God who reigns over those problems. So what will we choose? We have so many blessings every day. Minimally, you wake up every day with breath in your lungs. Most of us have never had to worry about having enough food to feed our family or ourselves. You probably have a job. And whether or not you love it or you hate it, you are still able to provide for your family. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have a God who loves us and gave his only son that we could be forgiven. We have the ability to go to him in prayer. He desires to hear from us. And he has given us everything that we need. And most importantly, we have salvation. 
If we have nothing else to celebrate, nothing else positive in our life, if everything else I've talked about is like, yeah, I don't have any of that, none of that. Well, you have breath in your lungs also. But if you have nothing but breath in your lungs and salvation, that is enough to be filled with unending joy. That is enough to wake up and praise God for salvation and life every single day. But it's hard. And I think, I I honestly believe it's harder in our current digital age to focus on the good. We tend to spend too much time romanticizing what others have and forget the abundance of what we have. Right? Like it's really easy to get on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and be looking. I mean, like, oh, Jimmy and Sally went on this beautiful vacation. I don't remember the last time I went on vacation. Oh, Look at this new car that Tom bought for Sally. Well, I like Sally, I guess. But look at this new car that Tom bought. My husband hasn't done anything nice for me in a while. Look at this family over there and their kids. are also talented and doing incredible things and getting straight A's. We can romanticize all of what we don't have. Or we can start to look at what God has given us. When we've gone to Haiti, we encounter people that have nothing. Many of them don't even know if they're going to be able to feed their family tonight or even maybe the next week. Yet many of them are filled with so much joy and passion. They are so spiritually rich that it is humbling for many of us when we go to see that they have nothing, but they are so joyful. But when you have nothing but Jesus, he becomes your all in all very quickly. Individually, we have so much to celebrate. But what about us here at Stonebridge Church? What about in the life of the church? What do we have to celebrate? What has God done? Look at all that God has given us. Our church is just over four years old. Just three days ago, we had rocked the block. We were able to provide school supplies to over a hundred children. We were able to provide dinner to, I don't even know how many, hundreds of people, and even more that just came just to interact and just be a part of a fun family event. We were able to do this through the generosity of everyone just giving to the general fund, through donations, through school supplies, and through connectionships and partnerships in the community. There are churches that have been around for ten times as long as us that pray and hope to be able to do something like this. And we were able to do it in just four short years. God has blessed us so much. And I just want to hit pause on that idea and just just say thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you. I, I was just blown away by that event. From the donations that came in to the money that we had to buy the rest of it, to the volunteers, to the prayers, to whatever it was, from one box of crayons to a $1,000 gift offering, it doesn't matter. It's all the same, and it's, it's incredible to see. And I get to be, like, the face of this to the community. Like, I make a little video and post it on Facebook, and the news comes and interviews me. It wouldn't happen without all of you. Every single one of you is needed to make events like this happen. So praise God for each and every one of you. And I just want to stop and pause and just say thank you so much for what all of you are doing. And even if you weren't involved in this event, it's something else. There's so much, so many volunteers, so many hard workers, and so much generosity in this church. We have been so blessed. 
I've said it recently in a members meeting, but it needs to be repeated here. One of the main things that Matt and I um, remind ourselves and discuss when it comes to our church and how to do outreach and how to connect to the community is a quote that we read from Tim Keller. And he said, if your church ceased to exist tomorrow, would the community around you even notice? I think we can say with a resounding yes. If something were to happen to Stonebridge Church tomorrow, the community would notice. And that's not to praise our church. That's not to praise individuals. We have worked hard to be that so that we could be Jesus to all of them. To show them that we are here to do church differently and to just love the community and to be part of them. And so thank you for partnering with that vision. What about the future of this church? We have the ability to be a church that truly blesses the community. That is the heart behind We Heart Boone and the Bless campaign. We want to build more classrooms. Not so that we can build a bigger building and say, look at us, look at our big building. We want to build more classrooms so that we can teach more kids about Jesus. So we can provide a place possibly for people to come in and meet with each other and just learn and connect. We also want to build a community center in order to provide a place for people to connect in the community, to be a blessing to the community, a place for teens to come and hang out after school, but also a place for our young adults to come and connect with them, mentor them, disciple them, love them, a place for moms to come during the day and let their children run around like crazy kids, but also to connect and pour into other women. A place for men to come and hang out and do what men do, play sports, hang out, whatever it is, and sharpen each other. God has given us everything that we have needed as a church to this point, and he will continue to give us what we need if we continue to focus on him. Lastly, the psalmist tells us that if we want to change our perception, we need to focus on God's word. We can see that in verses 7 and 10, 7 through 10. God's word is full of assurance and hope. The word precept in verse 7 means instructions or commands. So it's saying that God's instructions, his commands are trustworthy. His instructions, right? The Bible. And the Bible itself attests to this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says that all scripture is breathed by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Every word in scripture is written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Every word is exactly what God wants us to hear and what he knows we need to hear. The purpose of these commands or instructions are shown in the final words of verse 7. They are to be trusted. Now that word has the same meaning as the word that they use in Hebrew for foster mother or foster father. Trusted, supported, nourished. God's commands are meant to be trusted. They are meant to support us. They are meant to nourish us. But that's difficult for some of us, right? When we hear that word command, it makes us instantly think of the idea of rules. And rules are restrictions. And many of us don't like restrictions. 
We feel like restrictions are meant to keep us from something. And usually something that feels good, right? Like all of these restrictions and rules and laws, they're things that I want to do and that that they feel good to me. But the reality is that God's commands, his instructions, his precepts are meant to give life. I recently performed a wedding. And these were two young people who committed to saving themselves sexually for their wedding night. Now that is absolutely countercultural, even amongst some Christians. But these two young people saw that scripture taught that they needed to start their marriage on a firm foundation. That doesn't mean it wasn't difficult for them. It doesn't mean that they weren't tempted. But what it means is that they saw the value of honoring God in their relationship and their marriage more than giving into the culture or what felt good. Charles Spurgeon says, God acts faithfully and righteously towards his people and with justice and impartiality to all mankind. This also should lead us to praise him since it is the utmost advantage to us to live under a sovereign whose laws, decrees, acts, and deeds are the essence of truth and justice. God's word is the essence of truth. It should be the starting point for truth for us. And when we start to look at God's word as something that gives us life, that, that, that points us towards flourishing, that guides us, protects us, then we can start to see that following these commands and these instructions also give us an assurance that God loves us, that he cares about us. It gives us hope when life seems to be out of control or when we're in that rut. And it gives us a future hope. We can find joy in knowing that Jesus wins everything. God has sent redemption to his people. And we see that throughout the scripture, right? Old Testament pointing to the future Messiah. The gospel pointing us to the life and work of Jesus and his death and resurrection. And the rest of the New Testament pointing us to a future hope and a daily life of what life should look like until he returns. The death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead has brought us into a proper relationship and a right standing with God. We focus on God's word in order to learn and to be reminded of this incredible story of redemption. We should never cease from reading and rereading the gospel story. That is why Matt and I and many of the other guys that stand up here, every single week, we bring it back to the gospel. We bring it back to Jesus because that is the most important thing. The death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important thing for us. And we need to focus on that and refocus on that. Never think that you are too old or have heard it too many times. I need the gospel just as much today as I did 10 years ago. The psalm ends in the best way possible to praise God again. But he says his praise endures forever. God has been receiving praise through all of eternity past and will continue to receive praise for the rest of eternity. He desires our praise, but he does not need it. If somehow the entire human race turned their back on God tomorrow and quit praising him, the rocks and the trees and the sun and the moon and the stars, they would sing out praise to God. 
He is the only one worthy of unending praise. Everything else will end. Only God has always been and will always be. How quickly can we forget the blessings of God? It's our choice though, right? What are we going to choose today? We have a choice to focus on the good, focus on the beautiful flowers, focus on whatever is good in our life, or focus on the negative. And I'm not saying that we can't lament and we can't suffer and that there aren't times where we just have to focus a little bit on the negative and, fo- and, and vent. That is okay, and we have said that in the past few weeks, but we cannot live there and we cannot stay there. We have to choose to praise at some time. You can either focus on the kids that you don't have Or you can praise God for all the kids that you get the opportunity to lead and teach every week. You can be bitter that you aren't married yet. Or you can praise God that you have more time to minister for God. You can be overwhelmed with grief that your family isn't following Jesus. Or you can be overwhelmed with joy knowing that you have been given a family in Christ. What are you going to choose? You have the choice what your attitude will be. You may walk out these doors and find that someone has hit and run your car. How will you respond to that? What will be your choice? Or whatever negative thing that Satan decides to throw at you when you walk out of these doors. How will you respond to the negativity? If you want joy, you can find joy. Now, I need you all to hold me accountable to this as well. Like I said, I, I can quickly go from a pessimist to bitter, cynical old man. Like, that is just who I can quickly become. Just an angry old curmudgeon is what I become. And the boys and my wife just don't even want to be around me at that point. So I need you guys to hold me accountable. Yes, it's okay to lament. But, but don't let me slip into that nonstop bitterness. Don't let me. And I won't let you either. When I hear it, we can lament together. We can be angry about certain situations, but we have to end with joy and praise. Let us be a church that points to the praise and glory of God in the good or in the bad. Let's pray. God, I praise you for all that you have done. That you are so good to each and every one of us. You have created everything around us. The sun, the moon, the stars, the rocks, and each of us individually. And when you created man, you looked out across all of your creation. And you said, it is very good. So God, help us to remember how you view us. God, help us to remember the abundance of blessings that you have given to us. Even if it seems like we don't have as much as somebody else, God, even if we only have you, help us to praise that. Thank you, Jesus, for sending us your son. In your name I pray. Jesus, amen.